you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, September 9th, 2021, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we will recap a wild Orioles victory over the Royals on Wednesday night, with the O's scoring nine runs in the eighth inning to come back from a 5-0 deficit and then hold on for a 9-8 victory over Kansas City to take a 2-1 lead in this four-game series at Camden Yards. And I will get you the five things you need to know from the O's 9-8 victory on Wednesday night. Then we will get back to taking a look at all the players the Orioles got in the 2021 MLB draft. And today, we start to take a look at the undrafted free agents. Now, we've talked about one of those UDFAs already in Preston Price, the right-hander out of Arizona. But today, we look at the catcher the Orioles added to the system. That is Logan Michaels, a catcher out of Virginia, who the Orioles signed as an undrafted free agent. He was actually the first player they signed as an undrafted free agent. And he was the first player from this draft to start playing in the minor leagues for the Orioles this season. We'll talk with Bennett Conlin, who covers all things UVA athletics uh, about Michael's two-year career with the Cavaliers, uh, his big moments in the College World Series, and what he brings to the Orioles system. And then we'll get you ready for the final game of the four-game series between the Orioles and the Royals by previewing that later in the pod. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by another show here on the network that is Locked On MLB. Join Walking Baseball Encyclopedia Paul Francis Sullivan, but please call him Sully, every day on Locked On MLB for a unique look at the majors, both present and past. Featuring exciting guest interviews and routine check-ins from the Locked On MLB Network's team of local experts, including yours truly. Subscribe to Locked On MLB today on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So today we start with another Orioles win as the O's beat the Royals 9-8 on Wednesday night in a crazy victory that gets the O's to 45-93 and on the season. And with 24 games remaining, hey, it's probably not going to happen, but if the Orioles could somehow go 18 and 6 in their final 24 games, they could avoid 100 losses this season. But the O's have actually been pretty good, pretty watchable since they ended the 19 game losing streak. Orioles are 6 and 7 in the 13 games since the losing streak ended. That includes, of course, a good series of games in Toronto where they won one of three, a great series in New York against the Yankees where they won two of three and could have swept, and then this series now against the Royals where they've won two of the first three in this four game set. But going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles 9-8 win over the Royals on Wednesday night. And the first thing you need to know is that, frankly, the Orioles maybe had their best offensive inning of the season in the eighth on Wednesday night. With the O's trailing 5-0 heading into the bottom of the eighth inning, the Orioles offense puts up nine runs in the bottom of the eighth. Of course, took us back to what the Orioles did in September of 2015 against the Royals. When the O's offense scored 10 runs in the bottom of the eighth, hit two grand slams off the bat of Nolan Reimold and Steve Clevenger to come back in that game, they did a similar thing in this one, but it didn't include any grand slams. But a nine-run eighth inning was just fantastic. And it all started with Cedric Mullins, who drew a walk to lead off the inning, and then just there went the offense. Austin Hayes had an RBI double off the wall uh, that extended his hitting streak to 15 games. That got the Orioles on the board at 5-1, to one, and they just continued to go. You know, the big plate appearances of that inning. How about Pedro Severino? He batted with, 
you know, second and third and one out. You know, at that point when he came up, uh, it was still, or I should say, second and third with nobody out. He drew a nine-pitch walk to uh, load the bases at that point. Santander had a big RBI single. Uh, Ramon Arias had a pinch-hit RBI single in the inning. And then really, the maybe the biggest swing of the inning comes from Kelvin Gutierrez, who went three for four in this game and lined a two-run single up the middle with the bases loaded and two outs and the Orioles trailing 5-3 to three to tie the game at five. It was a huge swing. And then, of course, you had what happened to the Royals' defense. Mullins came up first and second, two down. It was tied at five. He had a pretty easy-looking fly ball out to right center field. Hunter Dozier, who had entered the game as a defensive replacement in that inning, just drops the fly ball. The two-run score, the Orioles go up 7-5. to five. And then Ryan Mountcastle, a, what ended up being a huge swing as he cranked one into the left-field seats for a two-run homer. And all of a sudden, the Orioles were leading 9-5 to five in the eighth inning with a nine-run inning. It was just fantastic to watch. And obviously, they were helped by the error. But even without the error, they would have at least gotten five in the inning and, and come back to tie the game in the eighth. And that would have been plenty for that inning, but able to tack on four more as well. But just one of the more enjoyable innings uh, for the Orioles all season. Second thing you need to know from the game is that Matt Harvey is struggling a little bit again. Harvey got the start in this game and went four and a third, allowing four runs, three of them earned on nine hits. He struck out two, he walked one, he did not allow a long ball, took him 74 pitches, ERA now 6.27 for Harvey on the season. We know he had that really good stretch when the second half of the season started. He was pitching really well for the Orioles. Now he hasn't gotten back to when he was honestly just terrible for about 10 starts through you know May and June, but He's kind of fallen back into the middle where there's definitely better options that the Orioles have in the Lowthers and the Wells and the Baumans and, and the Akins, but you know they still want to give Harvey these innings, and so they're kind of in an in-between spot where we're late enough in the season where Harvey's given you enough this year where you're not going to DFA him or anything or release him, but he's not a guy who's going to work out in the bullpen right now. I can tell you that right now. So it's, it's starter or bust unless you just want to put him in there and have him strictly be a mop-up guy for the rest of the season, but I don't know if you want to do that to Matt Harvey at this point. So I think we're kind of at the point with Harvey where it's just like you give him a start. I think you go to a six-man rotation for the rest of the season. Uh, you have some piggybacks. So you can get Bauman, Wells, and Lowther their innings. Maybe it allows you to call up Dean Kramer and get him some, some more innings at the end of the season. But it allows you to give all these guys innings while still starting Harvey. You go to a six-man rotation uh, so you have more spots as starters. You know, he pitches every sixth day. Uh, you try to get him to give you five innings every time he goes out there. And he finishes out the season and at least gives him a chance to showcase himself a little more, whether the Orioles want to bring him back or some other team wants to bring him in for 2022. But I think the Orioles' hands are, are just a little bit tied in that sense. And again, you know, it was, it was six whiffs on 74 pitches for Harvey, two on the curve, two on the change one on the slider, and one on the fastball. Fastball velo was down a bit. It only averaged about 92.5 uh, on Wednesday night. His year average about 93.5. He did hit 95 a couple of times, but on average, the velocity was a little bit down. In terms of his good pitches, I mean, the curveball worked the best on Wednesday night, but he only threw 13 of them on the day. And, uh, you know, he did get, you know, three called strikes, a couple of whiffs with that pitch. It was really working, but... Just kind of a blah start for for Matt Harvey. Got some help with a couple caught stealings in the game. Uh, but overall, he needs to be a little bit better. But I, he's just, just going to continue to get these chances, I think, throughout the rest of the season. Third thing you need to know from this one is that Fernando Abad is kind of 
saving the Orioles a little bit. He's done it multiple times out of the bullpen, and he did it again on Wednesday night. Abad came in to relieve Matt Harvey in the fifth inning. And another run scored while Abad was out there that was charged to Harvey, but he got out of a bases-loaded jam with a big strikeout. And, you know, he kept the game at 4-0 at, at that point after 5. And he ended up pitching two scoreless and hitless innings, two strikeouts. The only batter he allowed to reach was on a walk. He threw 32 pitches in those two innings of work for Fernando Abad. He got the lefties out that he needed to get out. Uh, again, you know, he his velocity is not bad. He's throwing 92-93. He touched 94 in the game on Wednesday night. you got to remember, he's in his late 30s at this point. And, you know, the fastball is still looking good. He's still mixing his pitches. You know, it's it's 15 fastballs, 7 changeups, 7 cutters, 3 curveballs. You know, he throws all that different stuff in there. And, you know, he only got 3 whiffs on 32 pitches. But he mixes the pitches so well that even though I think Abad has been thought of as kind of a, a lefty, you know, one inning at most reliever kind of late in his career, he's almost turned into more of... A bridge guy, not quite a long reliever, but but kind of for the Orioles. It's It's been interesting to see him almost morph back into the starter version of Fernando Abad that he was, you know, very, very early in his career before he, you know, moved to the bullpen full time. And the Orioles are getting a lot out of Abad. Now, we didn't see him for most of the year after the Orioles signed him to a minor league contract uh, in spring training. And again, you know, he pitched out of the Norfolk bullpen at AAA for most of the year, but He's come up and kind of, you know, bridged the gap for the Orioles well, and I would not mind uh, seeing him in the bullpen for the rest of the season. And honestly, this is the stuff he has. I would not mind at all him coming back on another minor league deal next year and giving him a chance to compete for a spot, and I'd be fine if he sits in Norfolk next year if he's okay with that and and is ready to come up uh, if the O's were to need him. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Manny Barreda finally made his major league debut in Wednesday night's game, and it was a good debut, a 1-2-3 eighth inning. Now, he entered the game uh, with the Orioles trailing 5-0 in the top of the eighth, but he still did his job. Barreda went 1-2-3 with two flyouts and a strikeout in the inning, and Barreda, who after all this time, 14 years in pro baseball, 11 years in the minors, three in the Mexican League, the 32-year-old right-hander who was a 12th-round pick of the Yankees out of high school all the way back in 2007 when he was drafted out of high school at Arizona, finally makes it to the big leagues. Just an awesome moment for Manny Barreda, who was having a solid season out of the Norfolk bullpen this year. The Orioles gave him a chance on a minor league deal, and he makes it to the bigs and throws a 1-2-3 inning. And how about this? He ended up being the winning pitcher in this game in his major league debut because he threw a scoreless top of the eighth, and then the Orioles scored the nine runs in the bottom of the eighth and were able to hold on for the victory. And the Orioles had back-to-back rookies, and I believe it was the first time in major league history that the Orioles had back-to-back relievers who got wins in back-to-back games in their major league debuts. Of course, Mike Bauman got the win on Tuesday night when he went three and two-thirds scoreless in relief in his major league debut, and then Bereda, a scoreless inning in relief Wednesday, his major league debut, he recorded the win as well. Just a really cool moment for those two guys and two very different rookies, a 25-year-old top Orioles prospect versus a 32-year-old journeyman, but they both did their job for the Orioles this week. And hey, in terms of Bereda, Keep him up here. See what he can do. That's what this September is for for the Orioles. Give him a shot to essentially earn another minor league contract for 2022, in which same thing with Ahmad. The Orioles bring him back, let him compete in spring training, give him a spot in the AAA bullpen, and uh, have him be depth for the team next year. But but let him kind of 
kind of show off what he can do in terms of the the stuff we saw from Bereda. Again, it wasn't a, a great look because he had such a quick inning, 12 pitches. He threw 10 fastballs and two sliders. Uh, the fastball was right around 94, touched 95 a couple of times, and it was about an 84-mile-per-hour, 85-mile-per-hour slider. He got one swing and miss on his fastball, and uh, you know he got some fly balls early in the count. And Nice job by Manny Bereda. Fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 9-8 victory over the Royals on Wednesday night is that, you know, things are uh, interesting for Dylan Tate right now. And I just, I can't figure him out, to be honest with you. Tate, who did a nice job getting the Orioles out of a jam in the Tuesday night game after Mike Bauman had left the game. He, he comes in again in the ninth inning on Wednesday. The Orioles had just scored nine in the eighth. They take a 9-5 lead. They hand it over to Tate with a four-run lead, just looking for three outs to secure the victory. And Tate was not able to do it. He lasted just two-thirds of an inning. He allowed a couple of hits. Uh, he hit a batter. And on an 0-2-2 out pitch to Andrew Benintendi with runners on second and third, he just hung a fastball down the middle. Benintendi hit a three-run homer um, into the flag court. And all of a sudden, it was a 9-8 to game in the top of the ninth. And Dylan Tate came out. In came Tyler Wells, took him two pitches. He got a ground out. He recorded his second save and, and locked down the 9-8 win. But for Dylan Tate, I just, I just don't know what to think of Tate at this point. Of course, he came over as part of the Zach Britton trade from the Yankees back in 2018. You know, he was a starter, a former, you know, top pick in the first round uh, by the Rangers in 2015, fourth overall pick. But, you know, he's basically a reliever now, and he's he's got such interesting stuff. You know, he's got that fastball with so much movement. He can run it up to 96, 97, 98. He's got a good changeup that kind of falls off the table, a solid slider uh, that's got good velocity, can be up at 90 miles an hour. And we saw, you know, there was a time in the middle of this season where I thought Tate was going to be the closer for the Orioles. I mean, he was looking dominant at times this year. You look at his June specifically. I mean, he had a 2.60 ERA in June. There was a stretch in July where he was really really good uh, for the Orioles in late July. But since then, he had a 7.36 ERA in August. He has a 21.60 ERA in four appearances in September. And the Dylan Tate trajectory is falling the wrong way. You know, he kind of had uh, you know, a little bit of a rough start to the season, uh, especially in May. And then, you know, June and, and July kind of turned things around. But really the last month and change, it's been it's been really, really bad for Dylan Tate. And although his stuff is still moving, he's in the middle of the plate way too much. He's given up a lot of hits, a lot of early count hits. I just don't know what his future holds with the Orioles. They still have, you know, many years of control of Dylan Tate. He's obviously going to be back with the team. I don't think he's a DFA candidate. They still have, you know, hopes for him with all that good stuff. He'll be in spring training with the Orioles in 2022, competing for a bullpen spot once again. But a guy who I think had a bullpen spot kind of locked down in my mind for next year, maybe two months ago. Now, you know, there's younger pitchers who could come in in spring training next year and take this spot away from Dylan Tate. I don't think he's secured a spot in the 2022 bullpen, and it's going to be big for him to try to turn things around here late in September because it has been bad lately for Tate. But luckily, Tyler Wells has been absolutely fantastic. He came in, got that final out for a second save, and the Orioles beat the Royals 9-8 to in a wild game as they take Game 3 
of the series. But back to the minor league level, Orioles obviously having success there as well this season, but we want to continue to look at the Orioles draft picks and undrafted free agent signings from the 2021 MLB draft. And today we take a look at one of those undrafted free agent signings. That is the catcher Logan Michaels out of Virginia, the Orioles first UDFA that they signed after the draft this season. And Michaels actually got to work pretty quickly in the minor league system. But to tell us a little bit more about Logan Michaels and especially his career at Virginia in one of the best college baseball programs in the country, we're going to be joined by Bennett Conlon. He covers UVA sports for the Daily Progress, and Conlon covered uh, the UVA baseball team the past two years with Michaels on the roster. So Bennett Conlon will join us after the break to talk about Logan Michaels, his career at Virginia, how he got to UVA after playing uh, at a junior college, how he had a key and, and really inspiring moment in the College World Series for the Cavaliers and how he might fit with the Orioles. So that again comes up next with Bennett Conlon. We're talking about Orioles undrafted free agent signing, the catcher, Logan Michaels. So we'll get to our conversation about one of the Orioles' undrafted free agent signings in just a second. But first, got to tell you about Molecule Mattress. And when I heard how many elite athletes sleep on a Molecule Mattress and call it their best sleep ever, I had to think about ordering one for myself. And it uh, sounds like they're pretty spot on. Now, I'm no elite athlete. I do play in a softball league. I did hit a home run the other night in a crushing 9-8 defeat in the league semifinals. And uh, I do struggle to sleep and uh, get comfortable sometimes. But Molecule Sleep Scientists literally created the world's most perfect mattress. It's unlike any other mattress in a box. It's cool to the touch. It has six times the airflow of most mattresses. And it has zone reflex layers that adjust with me in all weird sleep positions. Molecule Mattress is how elite athletes and maybe yourself can get the best sleep ever. So sleep on your Molecule mattress risk-free for 100 nights. If you don't have your deepest, most restorative sleep ever, return it. So visit onmolecule.com and save 20% with promo code LOCKEDON. Again, save 20% with promo code LOCKEDON at onmolecule.com. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, so we welcome Bennett Conlin into the podcast. He covers Virginia sports for the Daily Progress down in Charlottesville. And Bennett, first of all, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Of course, thanks for having me. And so we bring you on to talk about Logan Michaels, who was not selected in the 20 rounds of the 2021 MLB draft, but was picked up fairly quickly, uh, really just a couple hours, it seemed like, after the draft, the Orioles signed him to an undrafted free agent deal. And uh, funny enough, he was the first player that the Orioles either drafted or signed after the draft uh, to play in full season ball as he went right to high A. So 
we kind of got to get to this conversation about Logan Michaels. So first of all, you know, I, I got to ask for Michaels. It seems like the talk around him is this is a big time defensive shorts or defensive catcher, I should say. Is that kind of the, the scouting report on him? Yeah, he's someone who at the plate kind of hit for singles and doubles and average a little bit, although it wasn't always the best at UVA. So a decent guy, but they kind of stashed him at the bottom of the lineup this year as the season went on when he was healthy. Um, just because of how good he was defensively, they wanted him behind the plate. Kyle Teal for UVA baseball fans, really talented freshman who played a little bit of catcher. They ended up moving him to like right field for much of the season. Um, one of the best hitters they had, but they wanted Michaels, his defense. So he kind of had that spot in the starting lineup over Teal. And yeah, he's really good defensively. He's someone who had a really good rapport with all the pitchers and he was a Juco player, but he came to UVA and had some years of experience. So he's someone that quickly, you know, kind of gelled with the upperclassmen pitchers and was a really valuable resource for them behind the plate. So defensively is certainly his strength and then probably, you know, why the Orioles are looking at him. Yeah. He, he took that catcher role as soon as he came over in 2019 and, uh, you know, as far as his defense, you know, there's some catchers who are known, you know, the big arm guys, there's some of the, the pitch framer guys and some that, you know, are good with the staff or keep everything in front of them. Is he kind of a, uh, you know, a jumbled bag of all that together? Or is there one skill that really stands out that just even if the bat is, you know, going away a little bit that keeps him behind the plate? I think it is a little bit of everything. I think for sure the way he manages the staff is probably the number one thing that stood out with what he did at Virginia. I think they were all really impressed with how he could, um, you know, when he decided to take mound visits and things like that and and how he was able to sort of keep them calm and, and go through a game was really impressive. He, he knew the scouting reports on opposing hitters, all that stuff. Uh, but fielding-wise, he's really good. I mean, his arm's decently strong. I don't know if he's necessarily known as a power arm guy, but he can throw you out, and he did a good job, too, of also picking runners off this year for UVA. Um, they did a good job. They tried a lot. If someone tried to sacrifice bunt to throw in behind a runner, did a really good job of that, where if they missed the sack button, you throw them behind the runner at the bag. Was really good with that. Had a couple highlight plays as a fielder. So he's a good fielder and he uh, has decently strong arm and he, he knows how to manage a staff. So it's a little bit of everything with him. I think his leadership is sort of the, the one trait that stood out the most for UVA. And also obviously an older guy this year was his fifth college season um, his third with the Cavaliers. I did want to ask, though, because, you know, it's not that he had been a bad hitter in his career. He just really was not a power hitter whatsoever. I mean, two career home runs. We'll talk about one of them in a bit. But I did want to ask about kind of his change between his 2019 and 2020 kind of combined offensive numbers and then in 2021, because in those first two seasons, he was a, an over 300 hitter. Uh, but was basically a singles hitter, essentially. Didn't mm -hmm. walk too much, didn't strike out too much, hit a bunch of singles and played good defense behind the plate. This year, you know, the average went down to about 250. The on-base percentage dropped, uh, but he hit, you know, more doubles and he walked more and he struck out more. Was there any kind of approach change that happened with him or did he just kind of have a kind of a different unexpected season if maybe he was, you know, taking on other roles as well? I thought the 2021 year was sort of an outlier for him because starting the season and obviously you get the full season stats starting the year, he was really consistent and he was a singles hitter. He was hitting a ton of singles early and the offense was doing nothing. He was probably one of like three guys who could actually produce at the plate. Then as the season went on, he kind of struggled a little bit, had a little bit of a slump and was finding more doubles here and there. And obviously had the one home run in the college world series, but yeah, it was really interesting because he was a productive hitter his first two years with the singles. That's what happened to start 2021. And then he kind of faded a little bit as the year went on. I think it seemed like to me, at least 
kind of an outlier year for him. He was someone who made pretty solid contact and would just sort of go for singles and doubles his first couple of years. And that's sort of what made sense for him and his ability against college pitching. So he's not a terrible hitter. He certainly doesn't have a lot of power. I know, you know, today's game, you're, you're looking at home runs and, and things like that, but he's someone that typically is really hard to strike out at the plate and he's just trying to get base hits. So I think that's sort of what he'll project to moving forward as well. Yeah, at least looking at the numbers and, you know, I hadn't really watched a lot of him until this year, obviously watching him throughout the NCAA tournament, but, you know, at least looking at the numbers, he does seem like one of those kind of players who um, swings a lot, but, you know, doesn't get cheated, doesn't strike out a lot despite swinging a lot. He, he likes to make contact. Is that, is that kind of where a lot of his hits come? You know, is he, you know, dunking balls into right field, shooting things, you know, through the hole in the infield and just somehow finding his way on base? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of that. He certainly takes pretty good hacks and, and he's kind of hits, has those hits like a single up the middle to me, kind of just like screams Logan Michaels. So he did a good job of sort of finding those gaps with line drives, definitely a line drive hitter for the most part, not a ton of like bloop singles or anything like that. So he's making decent contact. He's just obviously not getting anywhere close to hitting home runs, but a pretty productive player at the plate. Obviously his defense is what helps him stand out the most, but I was kind of impressed with some of his at-bats. He's a little bit old school in the sense that, you know, if it's two strikes, you can watch his hands. He's going to choke up on the bat. Like he's got all that kind of stuff that's certainly fun to watch with him. He's, you know, a guy that a few years ago might've made more sense with his game in terms of where the, the modern game's going now is certainly different, but uh, really fun to watch. And I think he's someone I've enjoyed watching his at bats because if he gets to two strikes, you know, he's rarely going to strike out and he's going to fight pretty hard to make sure that the at bat is valuable and he at least gets a chance to put a ball in play, which I think is, decent for him and it kind of makes sense for what Virginia needed this year too. Well, we've continued to mention that one home run that he hit this year. And he only had two home runs in his Virginia career. One he hit in 2020 in the, in the shortened season. And then one he hits this year and, and, you know, it made way, you know, across the internet, across baseball, you know, he saves his one home run for the college world series with his dad in the stands, who is a cancer survivor, who was finally getting to come back um, and see him play in person. I mean, just being someone who is obviously, you know, closer to the Virginia program and, and you know, sees these guys more on a day-to-day basis than us who, you know, just see that moment happen. You know, what did that really mean to the program and to him and his family, you know, not just with his dad in the stands, but it kind of coming out of nowhere with him, a guy they're not expecting to hit one out of the park, especially on the biggest stage of his career. Yeah, I mean, it was just an unbelievable moment. So it's obviously they've made it back to Omaha for the first time since 2015, so being there is a huge deal. It's the first game for them, in the college world series going up against a pretty good Tennessee squad. He gets that hit. His dad had told me after the fact that he was like looking in the outfield gaps and wondering where the ball was. And then it cleared the fence and he was rounding the bases and he was kind of surprised. He was telling us, you know, he's a singles and doubles guy. We don't look for home runs out of him. So I thought that was kind of funny from his dad, but just an unbelievable experience for all of them. And his dad being there was a huge deal. He hadn't seen him play at UVA in person in terms of like in Charlottesville until earlier this season, the COVID restrictions, and then some of his uh, cancer diagnosis, that sort of thing kind of made it tough for him to get into the game. So for him to, to be there in a full stadium, seeing his son do that, and it was Father's Day too, uh, was that first game of the College World Series. It's just an unbelievable moment for the team, which went on to win, and obviously Logan Michael. So all around, you know, probably the story of the year for UVA baseball. And then the last thing I got to ask you, you may not even know the answer to this, but I just got to know, like, how does a kid from a junior college in Madison, Wisconsin for two years end up 
the next year as the starting catcher for the Virginia Cavaliers? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he didn't take, at least from what I understand, he didn't take a, a ton of visits. And he actually almost didn't come to Virginia because his dad was diagnosed kind of right around that time, was going through some really tough chemo. Um, and he considered not taking the visit to Charlottesville, who I guess somehow they found him. I don't really know how they found him in Juco ranks, but they found him. They wanted him to, to come visit. And he was pretty, I don't want to say against it, but he legitimately considered not taking the visit and his dad was like, no, no, go. It's like a division one program. You got to take a look at it. So he goes and he, he said he, you know, loved it and kind of fell in love with it, even though he was having such a tough time with his family and his, his parents encouraged him to eventually take that opportunity. And he did. So it was, it was crazy. And the program did a really great job embracing him and, and what he brought to the team and in terms of giving him a chance to play, but then also supporting him and saying like, Hey, if you need a weekend or whatever, during fall ball to go home and be with your dad, like go home and be with your dad. So I think that was something that was really cool too. Cause we didn't really learn this story until this season and kind of later in the season, it really became a huge deal, but it's something the Virginia program had been dealing with and supporting him with for a long period of time. And then to see it happen where it kind of became a national story was, was super, super cool. So I don't totally know how they got look at Michael's on their radar, but I know that once he was on the radar, he took a visit and, and fell in love. And yeah, I mean, the last couple of years, I guess they didn't, they really haven't had a ton of catcher depth. Um, and, and he was the guy, he had the defense and they didn't necessarily have anyone who could unseat him there um, in terms of what they did in their bats. And a lot of times they've stuck some of these utility guys, just stick them in right field, which, you know, some teams tend to do. So it's, it certainly worked out for Logan. It worked out for him and it's, it's already working out for him in the Orioles system. I mean, he was the first guy from this class to go right, into full season ball. He already has four hits at high A. I would assume none of the other draft picks or undrafted free agents will even play at high A um, until at least 2022. Um, so I'd say a good start for Logan Michaels in the Orioles system. But Bennett, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about Michaels, his career at Virginia and uh, the cool story that surrounded him there right at the end of his career at the College World Series. Of course. Thanks for having me on. So we'll get back to the Orioles talk in just a second. But first, it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, betonline.ag is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest. Open now at betonline.ag. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you can receive a 100% welcome bonus. And be sure to take advantage of the opening day super promo. Make a bet tonight. That is tonight's season opener between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. And even if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. And while you're putting in promo codes, make sure to put in the promo code Locked On as well so they know that we sent you. So you can bet on all that and more at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money 
when using rockauto.com. And it's a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. And the best part about rockauto.com, the prices are reliably low for every single customer. And they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, and much, much more. The other good thing, I know nothing about cars, but if I need something, I can go to rockauto.com and find what I need easily. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com So our thanks again to Bennett Conlin, who covers all things University of Virginia Athletics for the Daily Progress. Uh, who joined us to talk about Orioles' undrafted free agent signing in the catcher Logan Michaels, who played three years with the Cavaliers uh, at Virginia after transferring from a junior college in Madison, Wisconsin. It was kind of interesting to hear that story about how he gets from Madison, Wisconsin, a junior college, uh, which is where he grew up as well, um, to UVA and to be a starting catcher on one of the best programs in the country and then of course just that fantastic moment he had with the home run and with his dad there at the college world series this year uh was was definitely a great great moment and we did record that interview a couple of weeks ago so we mentioned briefly about kind of his his start in the Orioles system uh and his stats back there initially um and of course it's been a uh, little while since then um as we post this episode here the second week of September but for Michaels you know he's been at at two different levels now for the Orioles, and uh, he is currently in Delmarva, but he did go to Aberdeen and play two games early in the season and go four for eight, as we talked about, with an RBI and a double, walking a strikeout. Uh, but since then, it's been kind of, uh, you know, playing somewhat sparingly um, in Delmarva as kind of a number two catcher there. Uh, Ten games with the Shorebirds this year for Michaels so far. He is seven for 36. That's just a 194 batting average. Uh, just all singles, those seven hits. He does have five RBIs, two walks, nine strikeouts. He's two for two, stealing bases on the year. But as we talked with Bennett about, you know, it's not about the bat the reason why the Orioles signed him. It's about the glove, and that's what they are looking for. And Michaels did miss some time with injury uh, after a August 15th game. He went down uh, and did not return until September 1st, so he missed a couple weeks there, uh, but he is back in the lineup. He did play on Wednesday night, uh, did go 0 for 4 with two strikeouts, but he has really been hot in September before that since returning from the injury uh, in the month of September. He started with a 2 for 4, a 1 for 4, and a 2 for 5 in his first three games of the month. So hopefully the bat's starting to come around just a bit for Logan Michaels, who is just more good catching depth in the Orioles system. And I get it. They have Adley Rutschman. He's the top prospect in baseball. He's a catcher. He's amazing. But you need depth. The Orioles have kind of that catching depth at every level now. You know, they've got a guy like Brett Cumberland at the AAA level. You know, they've got Austin Wins at the Major League level, who's a good defensive catcher. You've got a guy like Maverick Handley, who is doing well in Aberdeen. You've got Logan Michaels here. You've got guys like Chris Hudgens and 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 other guys like that uh, at different levels in terms of, of catchers for the Orioles. You still need that depth because, A, you still need a backup catcher, and, B, catchers get hurt. It happens. You always need that depth in the system. But returning to the major league level, the Orioles do finish out a four-game series with the Kansas City Royals tonight. A 7.05 starts at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And uh, for the O's, the ace is heading to the hill. John Means will take the mound facing off against his childhood favorite team. 
and uh, means the left-hander will go out there to make his 22nd start of the year. He's got a 3.47 ERA, 109 strikeouts, and 119 and a third innings on the season. His last start against the Yankees uh, in the Bronx uh, over the weekend, he kind of struggled through it a bit, but was able to finish up solid. Five innings, two runs, three hits, five Ks, and two walks in that one. For John Means uh, this season, he was not able to face the Royals uh, the first time around, so this will be his first start against Kansas City this year. And on the other side for the Royals, it's been one of their interesting rookies this year. You know, they've got this group of really well-known top prospect rookies, but Carlos Hernandez, a 24-year-old right-handed pitcher, will make his 22nd appearance for the Royals in tonight's game. And he's been a nice, pleasant surprise for Kansas City this year. He has a 3.57 ERA, 69 strikeouts in 70 and two-thirds innings of work this season. He has spent some time in the bullpen, but recently he has been great in the rotation over the weekend against the White Sox. He went six innings, allowing just two runs on five hits, three Ks, and three walks. His two starts before that uh, were dazzling as well. And Hernandez, uh, definitely an interesting piece that Kansas City is getting a look at. He did make a start against the Orioles in KC on July 18th. Uh, he went four innings, allowing two runs on three hits. He struck out six, walked two, and he hit a batter against the Orioles in that one, and he will try and uh, get a little more success against the Orioles in tonight's game as the O's will go for back-to-back -back series wins if they can get this one against the Royals. Then we will be back with you on the podcast tomorrow to finish out the week. We will recap the final game of the series between the Orioles and the Royals, get you the five things you need to know. We'll keep looking at some of these undrafted free agent signings for the Orioles, and then we'll get you set for a big series this weekend at Camden Yards as the Orioles host the red-hot Toronto Blue Jays for a three-game set. Toronto is just on fire right now. They are now only a game and a half back of the Yankees for the second wild card spot as I record this here on Thursday morning. Extremely close to getting into a playoff spot. This is going to be a huge weekend for Toronto to try and leapfrog either Boston or New York and get into the playoff picture. So we'll preview that series on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.